This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. Also, for those of you who have been following the podcast uh, and the blog at meded101.com for a while now, I'm greatly appreciative of your support. Uh, our MedEd 101 Guide to Nursing Pharmacology hit number one on the Amazon uh, bestseller list a couple weeks ago, and uh, our guide to MedEd 101 Guide to Drug-Food Interactions hit number one as well. And I just can't thank you enough. If you haven't checked those out, you can find both those books uh, on Amazon. Uh, so it's MedEd 101 Guide to Nursing Pharmacology and MedEd 101 Guide to Drug-Food Interactions. So uh, thank you so, so much uh, for supporting that. Obviously, it helps keep this uh, podcast uh, paid for and allows me to, to keep doing it and trying to provide uh, valuable information to you at uh, no cost, of course. Uh, if you are not a subscriber yet, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Go sign up. Uh, simply an email will get you access to the top 200 study guide that I put together. Absolutely free, no cost to you. Uh, and with that, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is venlafaxine. Brand name of this medication is Effexor. Uh, Effexor XR, or extended release, is probably what you're going to see most often in practice. Uh, there is an immediate release formulation as well. Uh, class and mechanism, I guess, of this medication is it is an SNRI. So it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. Also, SNRI stands for serotonin serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Uh, so that's how it works. And essentially what this does in the body is increases uh, serotonin in the brain and norepinephrine action as well. Uh, but there is a little bit of caveat to that uh, that I do want to mention. There is some evidence to uh, demonstrate that venlafaxine probably isn't as potent a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor probably doesn't have as much action there um, at lower dosages. So uh, general dosing range, uh, 37.5 to up to 375 milligrams a day. Uh, it's pretty rare that I th see 375 uh, per day. Usually most folks will stop around 225. Um, but some of that evidence, as I was alluding to, mentions that... Um, when we use it at lower doses, dosages less than 225 milligrams per day, we're going to get more activity or action similar to SSRIs. Okay, so we don't get as much of that norepinephrine effect as we do with a, a drug, let's say, like duloxetine, which is also in the SNRI class. Okay, so that's an important thing to think about when it comes to some of the uses of this medication. So uh, some of the common uses, um, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, those are probably the most common that I see. 
however, there are some um, maybe more non-traditional psych indications that you might see it used for. So neuropathy, uh, hot flashes for menopause, migraine prevention, uh, these are situations where I have seen it utilized. And focusing a little bit more so on neuropathy, we generally uh, believe that that norepinephrine effect is required uh, to have benefit in pain management. So what that means is we might need to uh, titrate upward on that dosage uh, to actually see some benefit in neuropathy. Now in clinical practice, if we're using an SNRI for diabetic neuropathy, uh, most clinicians are just going to use duloxetine uh, instead of venlafaxine because we don't want to have to titrate up so high on the dose. So um, just kind of a, a little caveat there with uh, dosing and the way the drug uh, acts and works. Uh, with dosing, immediate release to extended release, I have been asked the question how to convert these before. And typically it's just going to be an equal conversion uh, milligrams per milligram with that type of transition. Now you're going to want to look at that patient clinically, you know, do we feel like we need to up the dose anyway, that type of thing, um, then you might, you know, juggle that around a little bit. But typically, it's going to be a one-to-one ratio if we're converting from immediate release to extended release. In practice, you're going to, I think I mentioned this before, you're going to see the extended release used uh, more commonly. It's probably a little bit better tolerated on the gut and things like that. Um, and then you don't obviously have to dose it as frequently either. So uh, that's probably the, the, the bigger advantages there of the extended release product. All right, let's get into those adverse drug reactions. So GI upset, I mentioned, certainly can happen. Uh, dry mouth uh, has been associated with weight loss, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why I don't see it very often in, in geriatric patients. Um, some might already suffer from weight loss and issues surrounding that. Uh, one other adverse effect uh, I wanted to mention that, you know, as patients age might be a little bit riskier is uh, there have been some associations with an increase in blood pressure and increase in pulse. Again, probably more associated with um, higher doses and escalation as you maybe get to uh, a little bit more of that norepinephrine effect, uh, but definitely something to be aware of there. Uh, sexual dysfunction can certainly happen. I've seen that. Um, some CNS changes, uh, dizziness, possibly confusion in rare cases. Uh, insomnia versus sedation. Uh, you know, in, in the literature, it's probably pretty close uh, to what patients report. So I would say it, it doesn't stray s strongly into to one way or the other there. Uh, SIADH, so that's that syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, uh, that can lead to hyponatremia. Pretty rare uh, that that happens with a drug like uh, venlafaxine, um, but in rare cases, it certainly can or can have an additive effect if we're using other drugs that bring down sodium as well. Uh, withdrawal syndrome. I want to specifically mention this. Um, I've spoken with many psychiatric folks in the past, worked with them closely, uh, as well as plenty of experience myself with this medication. Uh, venlafaxine tends to have a greater withdrawal syndrome um, than maybe some of the other uh, antidepressants. 
Okay, so I would say it's it's higher up on the list. And one of the big reasons for that is it's got a really uh, pretty short half-life, okay? So if you're going to take a patient off of this medication, we really got to be cognizant about um, having an extended uh, period to taper off and taper down that medication, okay? Uh, obviously, the higher the dose, the longer they've been on the medication, uh, the more and more likely they're they're probably going to run into some of the, the withdrawal symptoms uh, when we take away that medication. So again, uh, do not abruptly stop this medication for patients that have been on it for a while. Really, really important. Some of the effects of or some of the signs or symptoms of that withdrawal symptom, they're going to happen usually within a, a couple of days, you know, one to three days. Uh, it could be uh, anxiety, headache, GI upset, uh, CNS changes, mood changes, dizziness, uh, lots of different effects could potentially uh, happen f- uh, from that. Um, in my experience, m- most patients just kind of say they don't feel very good or they feel off or they feel really anxious uh, or maybe some of the headache and, and GI upset. So um, keep an eye out for that. Educate patients about that, um, particularly if you've got patients with a um, uh significant history of non-adherence where they stop meds for a period of time, uh, this might be a little bit riskier one to to do that in that patients aren't going to feel very good uh, if they stop it for, you know, three days, five days or, or more. All right. Uh, onset of uh, action is an important thing to educate patients about. Uh, generally, it's going to take weeks for this medication to start working, at least a week or two uh, to even to begin to see any type of benefit, um, whereas patients will generally experience the side effects right away within the first couple of days. And so that's that's an important education point uh, when using uh, a lot of these antidepressants is that they do take a while to work. So as far as, you know, when you're going to get that maximum benefit, you know, you're looking at four weeks, eight weeks, maybe even up to, to 12 weeks in some cases. So uh, important, important patient education point there. Uh, one thing with metabolism, um, it is metabolized by CYP2D6, and it is technically a prodrug. So CYP2D6 forms the active metabolite, and that's O-desmethylvenlafaxine. Uh, one last thing, finishing up before we get into drug interactions, uh, I wanted to talk about monitoring parameters. Obviously, you're going to monitor the disease state you're treating, whether that's you know neuropathy, depression, so on and so forth. Um, but from an adverse effect uh, profile, I do keep an eye on blood pressure and heart rate. Um, in my polypharmacy world, if I see a patient escalating on blood pressure meds, needing more and more, and we can't get the blood pressure down, um, venlafaxine is one of those drugs I kind of look out for in addition to, you know, stimulants and other meds like that. Um, but it, it can increase blood pressure um, to, to a significant extent, at least in, in my opinion. So that's something to look out for. Um, heart rate can also go up as well uh, on occasion, or that has been reported with venlafaxine. And I'm generally not real worried about it if it's you know somebody on 37.5 milligrams but as you escalate those doses if you got somebody on 225 300 375 uh, up around the higher maximum dosages uh, then 
it's probably a little bit more worrisome or a little at least higher on my radar uh, to watch uh, that blood pressure and heart rate a little bit more closely. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interaction. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material like ambulatory care, BCPS, MTM, NAPLEX, or others, go check out meded101.com store. We've got a growing list of resources there. Uh, that have helped people pass their board exams. So go check that out, meded101.com slash S-T-O-R-E. In addition, if you're a nurse, physician, med student, uh, any other healthcare professional that has to deal with medications on a routine basis, we've got tons of books on case studies, clinical pearls. Uh, I mentioned at the start of this episode, drug interactions, drug-food interactions, uh, and, of course, our, our newly released MedEd 101 Guide to Nursing Pharmacology. So great intro, um, quick study uh, that can help you certainly prepare yourself for uh, pharmacology exams, board exams, or real-life practice. So, again, all those links can be found meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. All right, let's wrap up with drug interactions. First thing I think about with venlafaxine, uh, serotonergic drugs. So we can have that additive uh, serotonergic load, increase the risk of serotonin syndrome. Serotonin syndrome is extremely rare in clinical practice, uh, but it is something that um, I do think about from time to time. So some of those other drugs um, that you might not think about quite as much, uh, ondansetron, uh, tramadol, linazolid, uh, these can all have additive serotonergic activity. Uh, I have seen situations where uh, I've, I've had patients on kind of duplicate therapy, SSRIs and SNRIs. Um, I don't really like that. <laughs> so uh, I'm definitely in the boat of trying to um, taper off of one and if necessary, kind of taper up on the, the other one there. Uh, other drug interactions, um, antiplatelet activity. I have been asked about that in clinical practice. How significant is that if we've got a patient on uh, aspirin and Plavix or maybe an anticoagulant like warfarin or pixaban? Is this something we should worry about? And uh, in general, um, my level of concern is fairly low with it. Uh, if somebody has bleeding or GI bleed or bleed risks, uh, you're, you're going to be more worried about the antiplatelet agent or the anticoagulant itself, typically, than you are going to be worried about a drug like venlafaxine. So kind of take that for what it's worth. In, in theory, and in, there is some evidence to maybe support it, it has some mild um, additive antiplatelet activity. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, in my opinion, it's, it's pretty low uh, on the, the radar there. I mentioned that possibility of increase in blood pressure and heart rate, so I've got to think about meds that might have additive effects to that. So uh, kind of your classic stimulants for ADHD, your methylphenidate, um, NSAIDs can raise blood pressure, pseudoephedrine. Uh, so those are drugs I kind of think about with um, additive uh, type effects. And I'm going to monitor them clinically. And if you see blood pressure creeping up, uh, and or you see uh, escalations in the dosing of blood pressure meds, that might be indicative that you've got kind of a resistant uh, hypertension going on and drugs may be playing a role uh, in that situation. So definitely look out for that. 
um, not incredibly common, um, but definitely something that needs to, to be thought of at least. And then, of course, with the blood pressure, heart rate, um, we can oppose beneficial effects. If we're trying to manage blood pressure um, by lowering blood pressure with antihypertensives and venlafaxine is opposing that potential benefit effect, beneficial effects, uh, that could present uh, an issue there as well. All right, well, that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you so much to those of you who have left a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, if you haven't done that, if you enjoy the podcast, if you find it helpful, uh, please, please take the time to do that. It helps us grow our audience, reach more people, and obviously uh, helps educate more folks about pharmacology, which is uh, ultimately my uh, end goal and end mission. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, mededucation101 at gmail.com. Comments, questions, suggestions, uh, definitely don't hesitate to reach out there. And then, of course, go support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. Your purchases there help support this podcast. All right, well, I'm going to sign off for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.